Amen. If you believe that, give God some more praise. Awesome. You may be seated if you can. Well, we are grateful that you chose to worship with us. Can we just give God some praise for this awesome band, awesome worship team, tech team downstairs. There are people who are serving your children, teaching them about Jesus. Can we give God some praise for them? And let me encourage you, when you pick up your babies, just say thank you to all those dedicated workers downstairs who are serving your children because they're doing an awesome job making sure your babies know about Jesus too. If this is your first time with us, I want to welcome you to Tri-Cities Church. My name is Lamar. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, if this is your first, second, third time, if you're joining us, this is not home for you, I want to encourage you to do something. There's something called a connection card. You can pick that up and you can fill that out and let us know a little bit more about yourself and let us know that this is your first time so that we can follow up with you and just let you know a little bit more about the church. Also, if you have a prayer request, you can put that on the back of the card and that's for anyone, whether it's your first time or not. Every Monday, the staff, we get together and we pray over those, and then we pass them on to the prayer team. So just know that you have somebody who's always praying for you. So we are now in uh, a new series. If you miss, by the way, how many of you enjoy the Chase the Lion series? Just throw your hands up in the air. All right, throw your hands in the air. Wave them like you just don't. Okay. Old school, 40 and over, 40 and over. If you're down with Jesus, say, oh, yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. If you missed that series, then I'm going to encourage you to do something. If you have a smartphone, go to the iTunes store, the podcast store, and then search Tri-Cities Church. You can download, subscribe to our podcast, and you can catch up on all the messages at Tri-Cities Church. It's a great tool, and it's an awesome opportunity for you to use that to share with someone else who may need to hear what you're hearing, because we don't want to be selfish, right? We want whatever God is doing in our life, we want our neighbors and our co-workers and our family to receive that as well. So I'm going to continue to challenge you. If you had a good time last time, bring someone with you next time. So we are in week one of a series uh, that's called Seven. Seven, and here's kind of the, the, the subtitle is, is Seven Questions That Will Change Your Life. Seven. Now, I don't know if you um, knew about this, but Jesus sort of had this thing going on where uh, he almost never answered a question directly. Come on now, you've read the Bible before. Most of y'all have seen that, that Jesus just has this thing. And if you're like me, sometimes it's sort of frustrating because I just want God to give me an answer. And what you learn, and this is how uh, Jewish rabbis were actually trained, that they actually would ask, answer a question with the question. Now, I may be a little bit off of my calculation, but I, I tried to do some research and I discovered that there are probably only, may, I may be a little bit low on this number, I found that there are only three times that Jesus directly answered a question with an answer. The rest of the time, he always comes back with a question. And so what we want to do is kind of look at some of the questions that Jesus asked. We can't do all of them because there are literally hundreds of them. But I want you to know that when, when we have a question, that's good. But when God has questions for us, we need to sit up and pay attention. There's a story um, of this, this, this young lady who decided one day she was going to go to church. And so she got up and got dressed and went to this church. And so when she, when she got to the church, the, the pastor, after the service, he was in the back shaking hands. And he shook her hand and says, young lady, I thank you for joining us. 
Uh, but at our church, we dress up. By the way, at Tri-Cities, come as you are. Dress up with jeans. Do, do, do you, because you know your pastor going to be in Jordans and jeans. <laughs> but, but he told her, he says, uh, at this church, we dress up, and what you have on uh, is not appropriate. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back and ask God what you should wear to church next week. So she said, okay, pastor, I'll go back. Comes back the next week. She was dressed similar to the first week. Pastor says, uh, I thought I told you to go back and ask God what to wear to church. She says, uh, okay, I'll, I'll try it again uh, next week. So she goes back, she prays, asks God what she should wear to church. Came back the next week, and she was still dressed the same way. Pastor says, young lady, I, I, thought, I, I thought I told you to go ask God a question. To ask God what you should wear when you come to church. And the young lady said, well, Pastor, I did ask him. And God says, he don't know because he ain't never been there. <laughs> okay, some of y'all. Okay, just, just ask your neighbor. They'll explain it to you on the way. I got to keep going. If you didn't get it, just ask your neighbor. Because here's, here's what questions do. Questions actually give us a new perspective of God and a new perspective of self. I read in a book years ago when I was in seminary uh, on systematic theology. By the way, this next seven weeks, you're going to learn a lot of uh, theology. We're going to really press you to understand what you believe and why. And, and in this book, it said that uh, check this out. An unquestioned faith is an idolatrous faith. Because we know we were taught don't question God. But, but here's the thing, though. If, if you don't have any questions, that means you're saying you have all the answers. And, and you end up, and I end up, not serving a God who we're creating in his image. We end up, if we think we have all the answers, we end up creating God in our image. Because I feel like I have all the answers. I don't need to ask any questions. I don't need God to ask, ask me any questions. And I end up serving a God who may not even exist because I've created a God in my mind who doesn't even exist. And so we want to explore what questions that Jesus has for us. Most of you, I want to start before I jump into the text. Most of you know uh, my story. I talked uh, weeks ago about being diagnosed with Asperger's, which is an autism Spectrum disorder back when I was 36 years old. That was in 2014. And some people ask, how, how did you come to, to that conclusion that you needed to go and see someone? And I tell people there are a lot of different factors. I really struggled with a lot of things my whole life, and I finally got to a breaking point. And it was because I heard different commentary about people's interactions with me. Things like, if you know anything about autism, things like, um, people on the spectrum oftentimes don't understand social cues. Sometimes our facial expressions don't look um, like they mirror the environment. So can I just parenthetically applause? I promise you I'm not as mean as I look. <laughs> just come holler at your boy. It's cool. <laughs> and so, and so uh, in that process, there was a, a, a moment where I had to ask myself a critical question that I never asked before, and it changed my life. It was a question. I'm going to give you that question, but this is not the question for today, but I'm going to give you the question I asked myself because it's a good question to ask if you intend on growing spiritually. Here's a question I had to finally ask myself. What do people experience when they experience me? 
When you're on the other side of me, because while people were saying things that I didn't agree with and I didn't understand and I could never figure out for 36 years why I was struggling in relationships and why people would walk away from me and I never knew what I did wrong. Here's a question I finally had to ask myself. I had to stop denying and stop deflecting and stop defending and finally ask myself a question that changed my life. What do people experience when they experience me? You might not have the issues that I have, but can I just challenge you to ask that question because I promise you, you're not who you think you are. And maybe that's why God has questions for us. Because maybe while we have a bunch of questions for Jesus, and that's cool, ask God all the questions you need to ask, but sometimes God will have a question for you just to expose you to the fact that maybe we're not really who we think we are. Maybe there's some room for growth. Maybe I'm not as smart as I think I am. Maybe I don't have all this figured out. Jesus asked tons of questions of people in the text. As a matter of fact, here's what Leo Babatu says. He says, at the end of the day, the questions we ask ourselves determine the type of people we will become. When is the last time you stood in the mirror and allowed God to really dig beneath the surface? And instead of you going to prayer and saying, And asking God what you want, when is the last time you went into prayer and allowed God to have some questions for you? Because at the end of the day, that's what's going to determine the type of people that we will become. And so I want to just jump down into a story this morning that will help us to learn where to start when it comes to our faith. So I got to give you some background. I'm going to be in John chapter four, but there, there's only there's seven questions. So I'm not even going to read the whole text. I'm just going to read the question. So let me give you some background because in John chapter four and leading up to this question, we're going to ask this morning, Jesus had spent some time in Samaria and now he's making his way to Galilee. And, and this is the scene Uh, in Cana, in this chapter where we're reading, where he performed his first miracle. You remember that Jesus turned water into wine in Cana. That was his first miracle. And his mother came to him and said, "Uh, Jesus, the wine has run out. And then Jesus says something to his mom that I don't recommend you ever say to your mama. He says, woman, what does this have to do with me? I cannot recommend that you use that. Only Jesus can get away with that. And so he's returning to Cana. This is the spot where he performed his first miracle, where they first saw what Jesus was capable of doing. And and can I just teach you this morning? I'm going to take you to seminary. John's gospel is unique from all the other gospels because John's gospel is determined to help you believe that Jesus is divine, that he's from heaven. So if you look at all the gospels, uh, Matthew Remember, he starts with a genealogy because he wants you to know that Jesus is from the bloodline of David. That's he wanted the, the Jewish followers to know Jesus was legit. So Matthew would say Jesus is from David. Mark, he shows us that Jesus is from Nazareth, that Jesus is a homeboy. He's from the hood, that Jesus is one of these people. He wanted you to know that Jesus was a servant. He wasn't a king who was born in a palace. He came from the streets. So Mark would say that Jesus is from Nazareth. And then Luke, who was not one of Jesus' disciples, he was actually uh, someone who hooked up with Paul and Barnabas, and he traveled with them in the book of Acts. And Luke's whole goal in writing Luke and Acts was to get the facts straight. A lot of people believe that maybe he wrote those two books as sort of a defense for the apostle Paul when he had to go to court. And Luke started off to say, I want to get this straight. So Luke chases Jesus all the way back to Adam because he wants you to know that Jesus was human. He was a real person. That's why in the gospel of Luke, 
you see Jesus as a little boy. So, so Matthew would say that Jesus is from David. He, he's legit. Mark would say Jesus is from Nazareth. He's, he's from the hood. Uh, Luke would say that Jesus is from Adam. He's a real person. But John's gospel wants you to know that Jesus is from heaven. That he is divine. And so it, it, it paints the picture of the entire gospel because Luke, John's aim is to get you to understand that Jesus wasn't just a guy. He was God in the flesh. You remember in the beginning of the book of John, he says, in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. And then verse 14, and the word became flesh. He's a real human being. He was, he was God and he walked the earth. But Jesus is divine. Why is that important? Because John records something that I think will help us to understand where to believe. Jesus is now back in Cana, the place where he did his first miracle. And then all of a sudden, a government official from Capernaum who traveled, check this out, 15 miles to find Jesus because he heard about what Jesus could do. He heard about miracles. And his son, this official, was his son was definitely ill and he needed Jesus to work a miracle to save his son. 15 miles he traveled to meet Jesus. I'm not going to get in your business, but some of us have trouble traveling 15 minutes. I'm not talking about you because you're here. I'm talking about the person who should have been with you. But can you feel the desperation? Because we're not talking about by car. He, he, he didn't just jump in his automobile. This is a 15-mile walk, or if he was blessed enough to have an animal, maybe 15 miles on that animal, and he literally traveled about a day's journey because he was desperate. Okay, so let me ask you a question. This is not our question for today, but, but have you ever been desperate for God to do something in your life? Like, I mean desperate. I mean, like, when you pray one of those prayers with, with desperation and with passion, I'm not talking about, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. I'm not talking about good food, you know, God is good, God is great. Uh, thank you for, you know, that prayer that don't even rhyme that we taught ourselves. I'm not talking about one of those prayers. I'm, I'm talking about being desperate. That God, there's something going on in my family, in my finances, at work, in my heart. And God, I'm desperate. I need you to work a miracle. And he traveled 15 miles in the hot sun, in the dusty desert, over treacherous roads. Can you feel it now? Can you get a sense of the desperation? He went to no stops because his baby was ill. His son was sick and he needed Jesus to perform a miracle. I hope you feel it now. I hope you feel it, the desperation, this moment of desperation where he does whatever is necessary to meet Jesus because he needed a miracle. And this is why this question on the surface bothered me. Because this man was desperate, just like you've been desperate. And, and when he comes up to Jesus, Jesus was faced with another person who was looking for a miracle. And then he asked a tough question to a desperate daddy. John chapter 4, verse 48. The only thing I'm going to read this morning. Here's our question this morning. And Jesus asked, will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? Wait a minute, Jesus. You don't have to be disrespectful. You don't have to diss the man. Did I just tell you he was desperate? That he heard that Jesus could perform miracles? He was so desperate that he traveled 15 miles 
nonstop through treacherous roads in hot sun because he was desperate for his son's life. He was desperate. He was a desperate daddy. And then Jesus has the audacity when faced with one more person who wants something from him to ask this question. Is it possible that you can believe, watch this, beyond how it benefits you? Because isn't that, for most of us, where we start? Jesus asked this question, and so can I just say this? I'm not making light of your situation because you've had moments, and maybe right now you're as desperate as this daddy for God to do something extraordinary in your life, which seems a little bit then disrespectful for Jesus to know that this man needed him and to ask this question, will you only believe if you see me do a bunch of tricks? If I, if I give you what you want, if I, if I do this miracle, is that the only way? Is, there, is it possible that you can believe in me and love me and follow me beyond how it benefits you? That's a hard question. Because we got to know when it comes to our faith, uh, where, where do I start? Here's the question for, for this morning. I want to rephrase what, what Jesus asked. Here's a question I want to ask you. What is the basis of your belief. Why do I believe at all? Is it because I heard that Jesus got benefits? And don't get me wrong, there are plenty of benefits to being a Christ follower. There are plenty of benefits to giving your heart to God. There are plenty of benefits, but can I just challenge you this morning? Remember, Jesus has some tough questions for us. He says to this desperate daddy, will you only believe unless you see me do miracles? Translation, Will you only believe in me if you get what you want? Whew. I can imagine the daddy saying, man, I didn't come for that. <laughs> you know how it is, right? God, I didn't come to you in prayer for you to be questioning me. I got some questions for you. I need you to work something out in my life. I need you to fix my marriage. I need you to fix the situation on my job. God, I'm coming to you because I heard that there are benefits. And Jesus says, but is that the only way you can believe? Come on, if, 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 that's, if that's the only way you can believe, isn't that at best just basic? Isn't that best like the lowest common denominator that the only reason God I'm even talking to you is because I heard you can wave your magic wand and you can fix some stuff. Can I just tell you, maybe one of the reasons why Jesus asked this tough question is because Jesus is not just challenging us because we believe that God can do something and change what's happened or he can change what's happening or he can change what happened in the past. Maybe Jesus is saying that my job in this world is not just to change what happened and not just to change what's happening and maybe not even to stop something from happening in the future. What if my role is to change not what happens, but to change hearts? You only believe because you can get something out of it? Is that the basis for my belief? Does it start there? I, I love that John records something that it blew my mind when I read this. This is going to blow your mind. Maybe you skipped over this. In John chapter 2, verses 23 to 25, listen to how Jesus deals with sometimes running into people that he knows are only after what he can do. This, this blew my mind when I read it. It messed me up. Verse 23 of chapter 2. 
Because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust in him. That's not bad. That's good, right? We want, we want to trust in Jesus. But 24 just blew my mind. But Jesus didn't trust them. Wow. John says, because of the miraculous signs that Jesus did, people began to trust in him. But then he says something that almost broke my heart. But Jesus didn't trust them because, check this out, he knew all about people. No one needed to tell him about human nature for he knew what was in each person's heart. Ouch! Jesus, like, you know, we have this, this picture of Jesus, right, where he's sitting with the lamb with long hair and he's stroking the lamb. And, he, and we kind of feel like Jesus is this, like, passive individual. But did you catch what John says? He says that Jesus didn't trust them. Can God trust me? Can, can he trust me to follow him even when I don't get what I want? See, see, now we got to ask the question, when it comes to faith, where do I start? Can, can God trust me to believe him beyond how it just benefits me? Don't get me wrong, God can do a lot of miracles, but Jesus seems to suggest that there's got to be something deeper than you coming to me just because you get something out of it. As a matter of fact, John says that he, he saw people who trusted him but he didn't really trust them because he knew that there was something in their heart where it really wasn't about being a follower. It really wasn't about trust. It really wasn't about uh, trusting in Jesus. It was about the tricks he could provide. I got to tell you, I heard a pastor say this years ago, and, and he, he's, he's using hyperbole, but I, I understand what he meant. He, he said that it's hard to stay saved when you didn't get saved right. I, I like to say it like this. Um, that, that we've, got to, we've got to understand that we have to start in the right place if you're going to stay on the right path. Because isn't it true that if my faith starts with just how it benefits me personally, do magic, do tricks, God, give me whatever I want, the moment that God doesn't give me what I want, I push back and stop believing. I don't know that many of us were taught this when we grew up in church. For those of us who grew up in church, if you didn't grow up in church, that's cool. We're glad you're here. But if you're like me, no one ever taught me that there's something deeper to my faith than just Jesus doing a bunch of magic tricks. That there's something deeper to my faith than, watch this, getting fire insurance. Okay, some of y'all will catch that when you're on the way home. <laughs> it's got to be more than just every time I talk to God, give me, give me, give me, give me. There's got to be something stronger to my faith because what happens when God doesn't give me what I want? Will I stop believing? Can I tell you, most of us, without even knowing, and this is not the judge, this is, this is the teach. Most of us, without even knowing, we have equated cooperation to God's existence. Right? If God cooperates with me, that means God's real. Can I just tell you for all my parents in the house, if cooperation was a proof of existence, then your children wouldn't exist. Okay, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so there are, there are some basic 
Human assumptions. Remember, I said we're going to go deep in this series. There are some, some basic human assumptions that I think that gets our faith all tangled up that I want us to understand that sometimes we believe things that we don't even understand that we believe about God. And it might be more damaging to our faith to serve a God who just gives me what I want. You ready? Four assumptions. Number one, we have this assumption that good people live and get good things. Right? That's why I struggle when I feel like I've been good, so God should give me what I want. Can I just tell you, Christianity doesn't teach that. Religion teaches that. Religion teaches you if you do good stuff, God will do good stuff for you. But that's not Christianity. That's not the foundation of our faith. Here's the second thing we believe. We believe, that, we believe number two, that bad people live and get bad things. Which is why we focus so, bad, so much on not being bad. Right? So I'm good, I should get good, and all the bad people, have you ever noticed that we're the only ones who know how to determine who's bad? <laughs> right? I said this a couple weeks ago, that most of us, we want to be judged by our intentions, but we want to judge everybody else by their decisions. But then I want you to judge me by, uh, I didn't mean to, therefore you shouldn't care about whether or not I actually did the right thing, because I didn't mean to, so it's cool. But when you do something wrong, I don't care what you meant to do, I'm just judging you by what you did. Isn't it funny how we think we are the judges of what's good and bad? And we believe that good people should get good stuff. Bad people live and get bad things. Here's the third assumption, that good and bad cannot coexist. Right? Which is why I struggle because I'm good, God's good, it should be all good. I got an announcement for you. There's this deep theological term that is used when you have to go through life and there are things that you struggle with and even though you try to be good and God is good, sometimes good and bad coexist in the same space. You want to know what that term is called? Life. Good and bad happens to all of us. Jesus even said, in this world, you will have trouble. See, he didn't even bait and switch you. He told you when you signed on the dotted line that just because you follow me don't mean it's going to be all good. You're going to have some stuff in this world that you're going to have to struggle with. And maybe some of us resist God and fall away from God because we've been taught that good people live and get good things. Bad people live and get bad things. Good and bad don't coexist. And here's the fourth thing that maybe we believe and don't even realize it, that if God exists and God is good, then bad should not exist, which is why I get mad when God doesn't give me what I want. Maybe nobody ever told you in those terms, but, but honestly, the moments that I push away from God, the times that I run away from the church, the times that I run away from God, the times that I stop praying, the times that I stop being faithful, maybe it's because deep down inside I'm living off of these four assumptions and it dictates my belief. And Jesus has a question for us. He says, is the only way you can believe in me when I give you what you want? Is it possible for you to believe in me beyond how it benefits you? Desperate daddy says, I didn't come here for all that. Some of you might even be saying right now, you came into church, I didn't come here for all that, Pastor, I want you to encourage me and tell me that the world is going to be fine and it's going to be all good. I got news for you. If I'm going to stay truthful to the text, I can't tell you that you're not going to have some bad days. I can't tell you that your relationships are not going to be hard. I can't tell you that your finances are always going to be right. I can't tell you that everybody at work is going to admire you and adore you. I can't tell you that it's going to all be good. And Jesus says, so let me ask you a question. If things are not all good, can you still believe me? Can you hang in there 
if you don't get what you want. See, see, believing, can I just say this? It can't just begin with benefits. As a matter of fact, this kind of leads to a big discussion that most of us need to have. And most of us who grew up in church, maybe we were never taught this, and maybe this would explain some stuff about why I wrestle with my faith. They, they did a survey years ago, and they asked people who are not followers of Christ, not people who believe in God, they asked them this question. If you could ask God one question, and God had to give you an answer, what would you ask God? And the number one result, the number one result had to do with this question. They asked it in different ways, but here's a question that we all ask whether you're a Christian or not. We've all asked this question. Here's how they phrase it in this survey. Why is there pain and suffering in the world? The number one question that people who don't even believe in God says, if I had a chance to ask God a question and God had to answer, all of them answered, asked this question in this way. Why is there pain and suffering? In other words, if you're good, then why does it seem like at times in my life it's all bad? Why is there pain and suffering? Why do I have to go through this? Why am I being challenged with this? Come on now, I'm a good person, so I should get good stuff, because we believe that, don't we? And the reason why I get angry with God is because I believe, because I'm good, that God should give me good stuff. And when I resist being bad, God can be good. And most of us don't even realize that we have not yet dived deep beneath the surface of our faith beyond just getting what we want from God. Jesus says, what's the basis of your faith? I know you traveled a long time, Daddy. I know that you're desperate. I know you've been praying. But is it possible? As desperate as you are, as hard as this is on you and your family, as much as you're struggling right now in your finances, in your faith, and in your family, is it possible for you to hold on to your faith even if it don't turn out the way you want? It's a good question. I didn't come for that, Jesus, but... Maybe you got a point there. Because if you don't heal my son, am I still going to trust you? If I don't get what I want, am I still going to trust him? If the thing you're praying about right now, God says no. Will you show up next week? Will you still lift your hands in worship? Job said this to his wife when she said, curse God and die because he's taking, God said, Job says, should we accept only the good and not the bad? Then he says, bless me the name of the Lord. Naked into this world I came and naked I'll go. I'm going to trust God no matter what. I believe God even if I don't get what I want. That's faith. I tell people, one of the things that I have learned over the years that has been comforting to me is I actually find comfort when I pray for something and God says no. You want to know why that's comforting? Because that means he's still God. Come on, think about it. If God did everything that you wanted God to do, who's God? If every time I got down on my knees and I said, God, I want A, B, C, and God says, you got it, anything you want, I'm here to serve you. It's my heart's desire. I'm a genie in a lamp. Just rub me, and I'm going to give you everything you want. I'm a cosmic vending machine. Just put in your good deeds, and I'll pop out some blessings. What if God says no just because he's God? I got to tell you, uh, 
if, if God gave you everything you wanted and you were God, okay, I'm just going to say this. Don't quit your day job. Because <laughs> we're not God. The question is, can I believe in Jesus even when I don't get what I want? So, so why is there pain and suffering in the world? Like I got to tell you, this, there is a destructive pattern of beliefs that these assumptions that means that just because I'm desperate and just because I traveled and just because this is a situation that I desperately want to happen, that God should do it. And can I just tell you, here's the problem with that. A belief that's based only on what benefits you never actually benefits you. If I only trust God because he gives me what I want, because there are benefits, can I just tell you, it doesn't even really benefit you. There is no relationship. There is no passion. There is no love. There is no reason to follow me. And that's the reason why the moment I don't get what I want, I will turn my back on God. Jesus says, is it possible for you to trust me, to believe in me, to follow me, even when you don't get what you want? What's the basis of your belief? Have I been serving God only when I get what I want? Come on, you know that the season of your life where I stop praying because God's not giving me what I want. The moment where I want something so desperately and God doesn't do it and I decide that God is not real because God is not cooperating. Can I just say that again? A belief that's based only on what benefits you never actually benefits you. And there's a reason for that. Because there's, there's, there's this such thing that we know about and you've heard it in the news lately and I'm not going to go into it uh, about this cheating scandal and what it did is it it. it it tested the boundaries of a system that's supposed to be based on merit. Like you get it because you deserve it, because you earned it. And I don't know if we know this, but most of us don't even realize that underneath the surface, some of us believe in a system of faith that is based on meritocracy. If I do good stuff, then God should give me good stuff. And when I do good stuff and God doesn't give me what I want, that means that God is not real. But can I just tell you, that's not Christianity. A faith that's based on a meritocracy, that's based on merit, is not Christianity. I got a stunning announcement to make to you. You ready? Life is not fair, and neither is God. Ooh, cricket. Some of y'all looking at it. Right? You know why God is not fair? Because fairness is based on merit. Fairness is about you getting what you earned. Okay, so can I ask a question? And I want you to think about this deeply. Remember I said we're going to go deep this seven weeks. Do you really want God to give you what you earn? Come on now. Do you really want God to operate on a system of fairness? That you get exactly what you deserve. See, that's religion. That's why some of us get upset when God doesn't give us what I want because we believe in the God of fairness. But can I just make an announcement? The God of fairness does not exist. That God does ex exist. That, that God doesn't operate on a system of fairness. That yes, there are going to be times where you might not get what you want. The question is, can you believe him anyway? Because God, watch this, doesn't operate on a system of fairness. This is the place right now where we can go to church. 
God operates on a system that is much higher than fairness. God operates on grace. Okay, that's a good place right there because, God, I'm so thankful that you're not fair, that you don't give me what I deserve, that you don't give me what I've earned. God, I thank you that even though sometimes I want stuff and you say no, that means that you are still on the throne and that you are not fair, but you are good. Jesus says, I might not be fair. You might not get what you want, desperate daddy, but I'm still good. And the question is, can I believe that God is good even when it doesn't personally benefit me? Can I believe that God is gracious? Can I believe that God is still on the throne? Can I believe that God is still in control beyond him just doing tricks to fix my stuff? The question is not whether or not God is fair. God is not fair. And can I just tell you something? If you've been praying to the God of fairness, that might explain why you're not getting your prayers heard. Because that God don't exist. In Christianity, we believe that God is not fair and neither is life. But we do believe that God is good, that God gives grace, that God doesn't give you what you earn, that God gives you what you could never earn. He gives us grace. See, that should be the basis of your faith. What that says is that in the moments where I don't get what I want, as desperate as I am, as far as I've traveled, as, as desperate as this situation is, when I'm praying like nobody's business, when my knees are worn out. You ever pray so much you need knee pads? But when my faith starts in the right place, that God is a God who is good, that God is a God of grace, then I understand that Christianity is a belief in the God of grace, not the God of fairness. Can I just encourage you? Hang on in there. Things may not turn out the way that you want them to. You may be desperate. You may have come a long way. You may need God to do something incredible in your life. And God is capable of doing any and everything that the Bible says he can do. But the question is not whether or not you trust God. Jesus says, and John says, can Jesus trust you? You going to turn your back on me because I don't give you what you want? Or can you believe in the fact that I'm a God? who gives grace. Can I just tell you, if you've been struggling, why you should believe in God? And here's my last statement. Then, Pastor, if you told me all this stuff, that good people don't get good stuff, and bad people sometimes get good things, and good people sometimes get bad things, and good and bad coexist, and life is a trip, and this world is full of trouble, and Jesus is telling me that sometimes I might not get what I want, and faith is deeper than just getting what I want, then tell me, Pastor, why should I believe in God at all? Why should I even care? If God doesn't give good stuff to good people because they're good, and he doesn't give bad stuff to bad people because they're good, and all this stuff is intertwined, and life is a trip, then why should I believe in God? Can you ready for this one? You should believe in God because in a strange sort of way, God believed in you. That's why he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross, because he believes that you can love him unconditionally the same way he loves you unconditionally. And unconditional love, watch this, sometimes requires undesirable conditions. You cannot prove your love to God if you always get what you want. And you should believe in God because in a strange sort of way, God believed in you. 
He says, I'm going to send my son to die on the cross, and you may never give me your heart, but I believe that you're capable of loving me beyond just how it benefits you. Believe in God, despite the fact that this world is a trip and you may not get what you want. Believe in him because he believed that you were worth dying for. That's why you should believe. So let me ask the question again. As the van comes and we're getting ready to do communion, let me ask you the question again. What's the basis of your belief? Is it based just on how it benefits me or can I believe in God simply because God believed in me enough that he would rather give up his son than to give up on you? That's worth believing in. Even if God never does another thing for me before I go to heaven, here's why he has my heart for the rest of my life. Because he believed in me so much that he gave up his own son. You talk about a desperate daddy. He sent his own son to die because he believed that you have the capability of trusting him beyond how it benefits you. That's faith. That's where you start. That's where you hold on to even when times get tough and you don't get what you want. You believe in God because God is cheering you on and he gave you the ultimate sacrifice by saying, look, I believe in you. You can do it. Hang on in there. I believe you can love me. I know the world is tough. I know you may not get what you want. I'm still on the throne. Here's how I prove that I'm good because I give you grace. Something that you can never earn. So can I encourage you, because there's some people under the sound of my voice, life has been hard for you, and you've been struggling with your faith, and you've been pushing away from God, or maybe you know somebody at your job who has questions about why I should believe in God when I don't get the good stuff I want, because the one good thing that you should have in your life is something that you should never earn, and it's Jesus. And he already gave you that. So as we prepare to give... This is the time now in our service. If you are a guest, we have stations in the front and the back that are available for you to give. And we don't give because we've been good. We give because God is good. And, and I can never repay God for what he's done for me on the cross. But this is just a small way to say I'm going to support the ministry of the gospel in my local church. So I'm going to give. And then as you come, it's not just a time to give, but it's a time to celebrate what we've been given. And that is grace. Life is going to be hard. You might not always get what you want, but God gave you what you needed. He gave us grace. So after I pray, you can come to either the stations in the front or the back. You can give your, your tithe or your offering, but you can also celebrate what was given to you in the grace that was extended to us on the cross. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this opportunity to pause and reflect on where our faith should begin. God, we know that in this world we're going to have trouble, that we're not always going to get what we want, but God, we want our faith to be deeper than just personal benefits and magic tricks. We want our faith to be anchored in the fact that you are not fair, but you are good. And you are so good that you gave us your son Jesus so that we would be absolved of the eternal consequences for our sin. And God, if you don't do anything else for us, if you never answer another prayer in the affirmative, just the fact that you gave up your son instead of giving up on us gives us enough to believe in you. And so God, I pray right now that as we approach this table, 
God, that we will do with a sobering confidence in the fact that this world is a trip, that life may have ups and downs, that we may not always get what we want from you, but you are worth believing in because you believed that we could love you the same way you love us. And so, God, as we have this time of communion, make it for us a holy moment and let us celebrate not that you're fair, but that you're good. God, we thank you and we love you. And we pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.